0: Trending news right now.
1: We'll get into that in just a bit. Just some of your responses from our poll uh, earlier uh, at Shorty. Signolo says at SFM Radio, good morning at Favoured Asa. Indeed, social media makes it easier for partners to get caught uh, uh, cheating by each other. I once discovered through WhatsApp that my partner was cheating on me. Well, thanks for your views there, Shorty. Hoping you handled that well and just healed from that. It can't be nice at all. And then just uh, on from our truck driver, uh, we had we earlier that uh, lady called Twana Shange. Uh, another lady says, I'm really inspired, Mogale. I'm sure it took you a whole lot of liver to drive a truck. Took me a whole lot of courage having to adjust from a small car to a Ford Ranger. I honestly don't even want to iman- imagine what it would take for me to adjust to a truck. God, I'd pull off whenever another truck is coming the opposite direction. (laughs) Okay, so there we go. Some of the views. uh, Thanks so much for uh, bringing them through. Continue to do that until 5. So now, 22 minutes past four, discussing trending topics with our producer, Kanya, and uh, looking at social media in the last uh, 24 hours. Good morning. I've been saying good morning the whole morning. (laughs) So I say good morning again to you now. (laughs) Keep going. It's giving good vibes. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk hashtag Megan Marco who's won uh, her latest round of, oh goodness, I just wish people would leave her alone. But anyway, mm. she's she's won her latest round of a two and a half year legal battle. This was against the Associated pre- Newspapers over the publication of a handwritten letter to her dad, Thomas Markle. Yeah. And this was uh, some time back when she sent a letter to her dad in August 2018, just three months after her wedding mm. to Prince Harry.
0: Fellow South Africans, it's important for us to know about the story because... Um, Obviously, you know, Meghan has gone through a lot, you know, too much, whether it be her marrying Prince Harry, whether it be the press, you know, following her every move, publishing things that are actually quite private. And, you know, it. it I think with the British media, one of the things we tend to forget is how invasive they are as much as there's press freedom. On the other hand, there is also, you know, a responsibility to not put out things that do not belong to you, first of all, but second of all, you know, put them out in such a way that distorts the truth. Mm. Um, And I think that, you know, the Daily Mail and some of the other publications that ran with the story went too far. And I mean, one of the reasons why Meghan Markle stepped away from the family along with Harry was because um, the media in Britain, especially from a tabloid point of view, have not been checked or held accountable for the things that they put out into society mm. and also you know there's a whole business behind you know how things how information is obtained um, whether it's done so in a way that it, that that follows you know editorial policy you know and i think this win is a major win in that we finally have you know a check and balance a set of presidents to show that you know if something is said about you or is leaked about you, or is um, misrepresented about you, there is recourse. Because, you know, Princess Diana went through it 20 years ago, you know, and a lot of that affected her. We see that in all of her documentaries, and, you know, the body of work and the stories that, you know, are told by her friends, by her family who remember her, because I think the 20-year anniversary was not too long ago as well. But I think it's important, you know, a win, in terms of Meghan Markle moving forward, especially in how this can help her protect her children how this will help you know the the actual partnership the couple itself be able to manage you know some of the other cases that are still pending um, so this is a massive, massive win, not just in terms of Meghan herself or, you know, Meghan and Harry. The entire
1: a- British monarchy. Because, you know? I mean, there, there is that sense of they're owned by the world, especially by Britain. But, I mean, these are still human beings. Talking of that, you know, the the, the, the win, also the judge that was presiding over this uh, case, High Court Judge Mark Warby, also awarding her compensation in legal costs for this.
0: I think that's also an important precedent to set because it finally puts media houses, you know, in check in terms of, you know, are you making sure that these things that are being put out there that you're putting your name against, are Mm. they factual? And if they aren't factual, you need to be able to, you know, ensure that there is a basis for which, you know, you can cover this person's legal fees and also be able to cover the damage you've caused reputationally, but also in terms of, you know, will we ever get a retraction? I doubt we'll get a retraction, but the legal fees themselves, you know, they cover for a certain part of the loss and and the damage that's already been done. And I think it's a good thing that, you know, British courts are finally getting to a place where Mm. we can really hold... Other institutions outside of the state accountable when it comes to situations of this magnitude, especially yeah. with the tabloids?
1: Okay, let's talk now hashtag level five in uh, Twitter, reacting to social security systems expert, Professor Alex van der Yeva who's called on the public to continue to strictly adhere to COVID-19 health protocols so that he says uh, we need to help prevent the possible spread of new virus variants. We know, I mean, Mm -hmm. even yesterday we were saying on the show that there's a a new, you know, there's a confirmation coming from National Ports Authority that 14 Filipino crew members on board a ship in the Durban Harbor have tested positive for COVID-19. Other countries putting restrictions against anything coming, and anyone coming from India, Uh, but here we're hearing of this in South Africa. Uh, Let's talk about that then, this call from Professor Alex van der Geheva.
0: I mean, I think it's a measured call for the moment. I think that, you know, South Africa, sometimes we tend to live in a bubble when it comes to, you know, what's happening around us. And that's why it's so important to have these sort of COVID updates around what is happening in other parts of the world and how can it immediately affect us. And I think the lockdown of that ship and the 14 people that are COVID positive and not being allowed to come into the country is one is a measure that shows that government is not completely asleep. Not to say that um, we shouldn't be revisiting some of our um, regulations to see if we shouldn't tighten the belt a bit in terms of you know movement from airports, etc. I know there is um, about three people outside of you know that that ship that was locked down that had come back from India um, that are um, being monitored by the guys at Stellenbosch and um um at at UP at the moment. Um they're also um looking at, you know, whether or not those three people have been affected with the Indian um variant of mm. the COVID um COVID um uh uh, uh the COVID nineteen vi- um uh, virus. But for the most part, the hysteria around, you know, Twitter and um social media yesterday was really around You know, if we go back to level five, it'll seem like, you know, we're starting all over again. And I mean, we're already on day 406, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. We've been through a lot, I think, as a country. And I I completely understand how people are... You know, mentally fatigued. You know, with all of the changes that happen and how mm. quickly this—there's new
1: variants that just keep coming up. Yeah. The ministry in South Africa has assured us that there are no direct flights from India to South Africa, and authorities are also mm-hmm. maintaining that strict measures are being applied. But you know, Professor also uh, taking to the realistic point that it's not possible to prevent the virus from entering our borders. I mean, we can't keep them completely closed, mm. and this just applies to all other countries. So we can say no, nothing from India should come in. But if there's another country, even on the continent that had direct contact with some of this new variants coming into the country, it will spread uh, COVID-19.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a tricky thing, you know, and the professor's right in a sense, and because when, when you think about how the, the virus actually, you know, mutates and moves continents in a matter of days, there's very little we can do outside of you know, making sure that we get the basics right on the ground so that, you know, from our point of view, you know, community outbreaks are not are kept to sort of an absolute low. But I think that, you know, government, if if they are thinking that this is a major concern and if there are more people that do um, come in from other parts of the world and, and present symptoms, I think government will be pushed in a corner a little bit to actually address this because we haven't had a family meeting in almost two months. So... I think that for now we, as much as we are, quote unquote, safe from a, um, you know, we, we're not, you're not, we're not picking up in terms of infections too quickly. We're not bubbling over that five percent, you know, infection rate mark. At the same time, you know, we have to always be, you know, ready for whatever changes are, you know, are coming our way.
1: Yeah, and uh, I mean the situation in India, we all know, is quite dire. Yeah. It's, it's accounting for now a quarter of the world's total in, in the past week in terms of the deaths, the statistics coming from the the G7 summit delegation from India also testing positive for COVID. Oh man, uh, yeah. The professor saying that, you know, this new variant is not necessarily driven by uh, the big second wave, but it's more about that. India had completely unrestricted l- religious festivals that were massive super spreader events. And they've got a population of 1.3 billion. So we also have to take into consideration that, eh.
0: Yeah, that's, that is a major factor, um, you know, because uh, prior to them stopping the manufacturing of, um, you know, vaccines and stopping their um, COVID drive, their target was really to get to 300 million people by June. So you can see the extent of which, you know, how big this project was going to be. But I think at the same time, you know, the, the more time India spends um, not addressing, you know, the elephant in the room with regards to, you know, religious gatherings, political gatherings. I know they have a local government election later this year, much like South Africa. Um, but, you know, South Africa has been good in that, you know, we've given specific numbers in terms of, you know, who can go to this religious event and at, and at what point do these numbers increase and under what circumstances. Mm. And because India hasn't made those boundaries very clear, you um, it's created the sort of snowball effect and the snowball effect now is not just India. It's most of Southeast Asia. I mean, you have countries like Cambodia and Thailand who have been relatively quiet over most of 2020, but this year are suddenly blowing up and are, you know, um, becoming an area of areas of concerns. The same thing with the Philippines as well.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Talking hashtag Bafana, Bafana Bafana finally having a new coach Belgian-born Hugo Bruce, who used to coach Cameroon as well, Mm. on the continent as well as Algeria. Uh, Well, he's got quite a a CV. So what do we make of this new Bafana Bafana coach?
0: I mean, I I don't think South Africans are too upset at the choice. They would have preferred to have had um, Benny McCarthy come in, considering his run with Amazulu and how well he's doing. But, you know, Safa being Safa, we tend to do this thing of when we fire... A local coach, we go international. Um, apparently, Pizzo Mutsamani was also a candidate in the bag, but that in their sort of bag of options. But, you know, that didn't materialize. I'd be very interested to know why Pizzo would have said no. But I think things that Al-Akhli in Egypt are doing going so well that, you know, if you, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, But I think, you know, they've put faith in um, Hugo because of his success in Algeria, of his success um, out in Cameroon as well. I mean, I think the other person who may have been an option for them was Carlos Quiroz because Carlos Quiroz is the only coach, um, well, in my living memory, because I'm still young, (laughs) Mm -hmm. who's who's helped South Africa qualify for a massive tournament, you know, so I think that, you know, in terms of options they want you they want a coach that'll help them qualify for big tournaments and get south african football back on the map especially now that we have you know um patrice Mutzipi as the head of calf but i i'm very interested to see how bruno goes because apparently he's coming in next week and he's coming in hot yeah hugo
1: yep yeah i mean he's he's played he, he hung his boots in 1988 and then after he took over as a coach he won his uh Belgium league twice in mm. his six years. So, I mean, I think he's done quite a lot of things. He's is he's also worked in Turkey and Greece and as we said Algeria and coming in on the continent from from uh from from Cameroon. And then of course, uh the in Cameroon in the AFCON, they beat Egypt to claim mm-hmm. the fifth African title in the history that spec in 2017. So, if we're talking of looking at Comparing him to Mule Finseki, who was canned after failing to qualify for the 2022 Africa Cup of Nations, I guess Hugo would step in there and say, "I've got something better to do," isn't it?
0: Yeah, he's. It's not even. He, I don't think he has. The onus is on him to prove much. It's just making sure that, you know, he creates a new generation or a new team that will be able to, you know, be competitive enough to enter an Afcon to, ever, to enter um a World Cup. Um, I think for him also, you know, he's going to have to look at things like how are, how is South Africa's, you know, development pipeline in terms of football? And, you know, where are the areas in which he's going to be able to start scouting for those newer, younger players? Because yeah. that was one of the, the main
1: comments that he made, you know, post-announcement. There was a strategy with Cameroon. They're a more youthful team. So yeah. he's bringing that. Yeah. How do you think that's going to work?
0: I mean, I think with The South African football team, you know, we've gotten to a stage where we don't even believe in them. So I think that if youth is what's going to get us to move forward, I think the opportunities need to be presented, you know, and it needs to be presented more frequently. I understand that we want to have a balance between, you know, experience and youth. But look at what it's gotten in South Africa, you know, in recent years. And I'm not just talking about sport. I'm even talking about outside
1: of sport. Yeah. Okay, it's still discussing our trending topics here on uh, Sound Awake with our producer, Kanya Bonani. Now, let's talk hashtag Queen Mantombi Lamini The Queen's remains being taken to KZN ahead of private funeral. And uh, the royal family is still at odds on some issues there. But we know uh, that Amabuto uh, and maidens gathered in Hillbrow where the mm-hmm. body of the Queen uh, will be taken to uh, KZN And the region passed away suddenly at Park Hospital last week at the age of 65.
0: Um, I think, you know, one of the things that um, was touching about, about you know, the, 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 the gathering itself was just how much, you know, despite all of the drama that's happening within the royal house, um, you know, so many Zulu maidens and, you know, members of the Zulu community came to, to to essentially, you know, take, you know, the late queen to her final resting place on her final journey home. So I think for me it was beautiful to see so many people, you know, come to, to fetch her for the final time. But, you know, I, I there's only so much, you know, joy you can take out of that moment when there is so much internal fighting that's taking place. You know, you mm. have um, you know, is saying on the one hand that, you know, he's not excluding his siblings or anyone else from engagement. And that, um, you know, uh, the late king was very clear about his successor and how he wanted things to happen, you know, in the event that he passed. And it's, it's taking so much away from the queen regent's um, loss. Um, and, you know, it leaves me speechless. I think about, you know, the queen regent's daughters who have now lost their mother and their father in the a yeah. matter of a month and nobody's really slowing down to actually absorb that and you know take a moment to you know celebrate her life people are just fighting and i think the only reason why i wanted to bring up her final journey home is because it's so important to to celebrate and to take in this moment of culture this final journey mm. um, and you know to be able to give those daughters you know some sort of semblance of comfort you know, in this very
1: difficult yeah. time. Let's uh, finalize with hashtag Mbalula now. Uh, ANC Lutuli House Staffer and Umkonto Sizwe, Military Veterans Association spokesperson Carl Niehaus is suing Transport Minister Fikile Mbalula for 8 million rand. This is for reputational damage. He says that he, in court papers, uh, he called him a thug on Twitter, among other names.
0: So this fight has been a fight we've been staring at for a very long time now. Mm. <laughs> I wish you could say this is a fight that came out of nowhere, but I mean, I think it's a result of two people on two very different sides of the factional coin. And I feel like um, Balula and and, and Nihaus have had a very long sparring match. I think that um, Balula himself is very trigger happy on Twitter. I'm not going to even try and hold that back. And I think that that is coming back to bite him because... You know, I think that Newhouse may just decide to use the um, Derek Heinecklund playbook and basically, you know, use the precedence that was set um, when he decided to go and um, sue um, former President Zuma and with with a case that he actually won. Um, So I think that in terms of... The things that were said, but whether he was being called a thug or, you know, the the, the things that also um Niehaus said to Mbalula, you know, someone who's singing for their supper, I think that it's gonna be very interesting to see how this case unfolds and if Balula actually counters Seuss because I think the papers were only delivered to him and his um staff compliment mm. in the and, last time. hours interesting
1: with social media to note is other times, you know, somebody's statements can be seen as just light, you know, we slang things mm. and we just throw words out there. As you say, there are rants on Twitter. People say all sorts of things. So mm. when does it become defamatory and when does it become acceptable that this is just normal day lingo or some ambiguous statement that somebody's saying? Is this statement wrongful and defamatory because it's Minister Mbalula or because it is just the statement?
0: I think for Newhouse, it, it, it's a statement, but the problem is that because it's it's a double edged sword, um, and Balula doesn't necessarily represent or or um, align with Newhouse's ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a struggle. I mean, Newhouse and Balula have never sort of gotten on. They've never exchanged kind words about each other, not now, not ever. And, I mean, it's the same thing with KB and the, and, and yeah. the, the Veterans um,
1: League. So Interesting I, uh, stuff. But anyway, let's leave it there. We are out of time. Thanks. Anyway, Trending Topics uh, with Kanye Bonani today. Social media trends in the last 24 hours.